Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. Welcome back to today's episode. I'm very happy that you joined me today because I think today's topic may be one of my favorite things to talk about. We're talking about circadian synced eating today. This is something that I've touched on in previous episodes. You've probably heard me talk about it either here on the podcast or on Instagram or anywhere else I create content, but I don't think I've ever formally talked about it in one specific episode, and that's what I'd like to do today. We're going deep into circadian synced eating. We'll talk about what it is, how to do it, what the benefits are, and of course, we'll also touch on the rationale and the science behind it, and there's a lot there. This is, again, something I enjoy talking about because not many people do, and not many people with PCOS, women with PCOS, are aware of it and how impactful it can really be for your healing and health journey. So this way of eating doesn't focus so much about what you eat. It's more about when. So this is all about the timing of the meals. And the main purpose here is to align your food intake with your body's natural clock, which is known as the circadian rhythm. So we're going to have a deep conversation today about what it is. This is something that we all have in our body. Every single person has a unique body clock to them. And a lot of them work in the same way as far as hormones. So of course, we're going to touch on that. But I want you to start considering this as an important aspect of what you're doing and shifting the focus away a little bit from what you eat and how much and all of that, carbs, protein, grams, macros, those are things that are okay to focus on if they work for you. I offer in my programs a little bit of a different approach that doesn't focus so much on counting and measuring, but I've spoken about this in detail in the past. But today is not at all about any of that. It's not about nutrition. It's not about specific foods. It's really about timing and your food behavior and eating habits during the day as they relate to when you eat. So I'm excited to dive into it. And let's go ahead and do that. Let's get started with the very basic question of what is the circadian rhythm? So it sounds really technical, and sometimes people are not sure if it's something that's applied to them. Do I have a circadian rhythm system in my body? Yes, everyone has one. Very simply put, this is a 24-hour internal clock that's regulating very important bodily functions. So things like body temperature, sleep quality, digestion is regulated by your internal clock, heart rate, mood, as well as, of course, metabolism and hormone function, which is very relevant to what we'll talk about today. And this internal clock in the brain, in the hypothalamus, it operates based on external cues like light and physical activity, as well as food intake. And it can really set the tone for the activity of important hormones in your body, especially for PCOS, things like insulin, cortisol, thyroid hormones, and even sex hormones like testosterone, LH, and FSH. So the circadian rhythm is really closely tied to hormone function. And of course, all of that is also tied to our food intake and into our sleep schedules as well as activity. So today's conversation, like I said before, is shifting away from food and protein and all of that good stuff that I talk about a lot and really focusing on the aspect of health that's very less commonly discussed, and that is when you eat. 
and the impact that that may have on the hormones and thereby by default, you know, that can have a domino effect and really impact weight, mood, sleep, stress levels. So the circadian rhythms are really important for all aspect of health. And I would say that this is a relatively new concept that we hear about and there's research behind because hundreds of years ago or even a few decades ago, people didn't really have to think about this because of the way that life was designed, right? So 50 or 100 years ago, we didn't have to worry so much about screens. We didn't have to worry so much about working long hours in front of a screen cooped up inside in an office with fluorescent lighting or in your home office where boundaries are very blurred between work and rest time and personal time, right? Nobody really worked from home back in the day. There weren't distractions and notifications and dings and red circles with numbers in them on our phone indicating that we have a new message or we have a new notification or so-and-so posted. And the stimulation that we have now, these distractions, the blurred boundaries between work and personal life are really causing a disruption to circadian rhythms because we're exposed to things like blue light, we're exposed to natural light much less. And so these are all things that your brain didn't have to deal with years ago. And so the whole concept of circadian rhythms and how they impact health was recently looked at. And when I say recently, probably the last few decades, and we started really paying attention to what impact this may have on health and hormones. And I can also tell you that when I was going to school to become a dietitian, I was going through my master's degree in clinical nutrition, and a lot of the messaging and science that we looked at didn't really look at meal timing. It was the notion that it doesn't matter when you eat, all that matters is the total amount of calories that you take in a day or the nutrition that you take in a day, and the timing was not important. And now we know that that is not true, right? It does make a difference, and we do have a lot of variability in how your body processes food throughout the day, your metabolism, your hormones, and what happens to that food that you eat at different times of the day. So it's really something that I like talking about. I teach it in all my programs, and we've seen great, great results when women do start taking into account meal timing and circadian rhythms, especially with PCOS, and I'm going to talk about why it's so relevant to PCOS in today's episode. Okay, so now that we know the very basic definition of what the circadian rhythm is, and of course, there's a lot more to it and very technical things. And, you know, I don't want to get into that in today's episode because I want you to really have the bottom line. This podcast is all about down to earth, practical information that you can take from the episodes and run with. Start implementing, start working on these things for yourself. I give you the very kind of bottom line of of what you need to know. And this, by the way, is something that I do in my programs as well. So when you come into my programs, you're not getting a 70-page PDF. We're not talking about articles and research and studies. That's my job, right? My job is to take all of that information and boil it down to what you need to know and what you need to implement every single day. So when you wake up in the morning, you know exactly what to do to manage your PCOS better. And I take this same approach in everything I do because I'm a no fluff kind of person and I like to just tell me what to do, tell me the bottom line. And when I go into coaching programs for various things, which I do all the time, I like that. I want to get the actionable step by step so that I can just run with it, implement it, see the results and be done. Okay. So the behind the scenes of why 
in the research and the studies and the numbers and all the technical stuff behind the nutrition information and all the health and lifestyle information that you get from me is my job to process and digest, no pun intended, and not, you know, something that I want to give to you because I think it could be overwhelming. And with PCOS, it's already overwhelming enough to start sorting through information to understand what's relevant to you and what's not. And so we go for the bottom line, we get the goods, and we're done. All right, so now that we know what circadian rhythms are, let's talk about eating based on your circadian rhythms. And that's called circadian synced eating. If you've taken one of my quizzes recently, I have a few, the one that talks about what eating style is right for your PCOS, you may have gotten circadian synced eating as one of the eating styles that's relevant to you. And I like that approach a lot. I Like I said, I think it works beautifully. I've seen great results with it. And it has several principles that I want to talk about. Okay, so the first one is starting to consume food very early in the day. So when you're eating in alignment with your circadian rhythms, you're starting bright and early, ideally before 8.30 a.m. if possible, but if not within 90 minutes of waking up. And you're eating breakfast very, very close to waking up because that's the most metabolically active time in your body. So there's a really good chance that your body is going to take that meal. And again, of course, we want to pay attention to what we're eating. We don't want to start the day off with a Pop-Tart and a sugary coffee. But if you're eating a balanced meal and you're doing so early, there's a really good chance that your body is going to process this food and use it up for energy very efficiently, as opposed to either skipping breakfast, which would then mean that you're continuing your nighttime fast well beyond 12 hours, right? So if you went to bed at 11 a.m. and you're not eating lunch until 1 or 2 p.m. and that's the first thing that you put in your body, that's a, what, 14, 13-hour fast. That's way too long. It's very stressful on your body. So I see women do, you know, one of two things that I think is wrong. The first one is skipping, like I just said, and the second one is eating a breakfast that's not balanced. So I've spoken about balanced eating a ton, so we're not going to get into that today. But if you're starting within 90 minutes of waking up, ideally by 8.30 a.m., you're already well on your way with a balanced breakfast to eating based on your circadian rhythms. Okay, so this is the time of day, the morning that is, ideally before 9 a.m., Your body is primed and ready to receive and process the food very efficiently. It's most sensitive to insulin at that time, okay? So your body is very sensitive to insulin in the morning. And it's also going to make sure that you're not building up your cortisol and stressing out your body throughout the morning. So cortisol rises in the morning and peaks again before lunch, and then it starts to drop during the evening. And it has a major impact on a lot of different things, including blood sugar, as well as your thyroid function. And so if you're not eating in the morning and your cortisol is rising and you're not giving your body any food, your cortisol is going to continue to rise. It's going to continue to increase your blood sugar because it's going to signal the liver to release glycogen, which is a storage form of glucose. And essentially what's going to happen is a form of stress in your body, a state of stress in your body. And that would mean that your thyroid function is not optimized. That would mean that your metabolism is not optimized. And of course, your blood sugar rising will also cause an increase in insulin. So none of it is good, right? The other thing, like I said, is that insulin sensitivity is very high in the morning. 
And when you skip breakfast or if you're doing intermittent fasting and you're not eating anything until 1 or 2 or 3 p.m., you're going to cause much more insulin to be released after you eat that meal, meaning the afternoon meals. Studies show that when people fast, they skip breakfast and they eat their first meal in the afternoon hours, your body releases a lot more insulin than it needs to be to cover that meal. And it's almost like overreacting once you do eat. And so we don't want these high levels of insulin. That's something that's going to impair insulin resistance even more. And so starting to eat early, not skipping breakfast, is going to have a positive kind of domino effect on pretty much all of your important hormones, insulin, cortisol, thyroid. And we also know there's a really famous study that was done with women with PCOS that showed that women who eat a large breakfast earlier in the day ovulate more regularly and have lower levels of testosterone. So this alignment between their eating and the timing of the day and the fact that their body was primed and ready to receive that food and process it properly as opposed to cause a whole storm of hormones because of the timing being wrong is a big deal. And it's proof that, again, timing matters. And when you eat matters, starting early is a smart thing to do. So that's the first principle. The second thing is eating the vast majority of meals within the daytime hours when it's light outside. So again, the whole concept of the circadian synced eating is based on light and darkness. And it says that when it's light outside, we want to eat the vast majority of food. When it gets dark, we want to taper off eating and go towards lighter, smaller meals in the evening and definitely nighttime hours. And so in that same study that I just mentioned, the women ate a breakfast that was a thousand calories. Now, I'm not saying that your breakfast needs to be a thousand calories. I think that may be excessive and hard to do for a lot of people. But it did show that when women ate a large breakfast and then they also had a larger lunch, but a smaller dinner, they did better hormonally and their PCOS symptoms majorly improved. And so eating the vast majority of food within the daytime hours as much as you can, as much as possible, and we want to be reasonable and realistic about it, it's not going to happen every day, right? It's not going to be possible every day, and it's not going to be possible with every schedule. So we have to allow life to happen, and we can't be super strict and so regimented that we feel disappointed in ourselves if we can't stick with it 100%, right? Nobody can do that anyway. So we're going to let perfection go, and we're going to make sure that we're realistic. That's a much better, healthier approach to take. And so if you're able to start practicing this even two days out of the week, that's great. If you can do it every other day, that's even better. And if you can do it every single day within reason, that's the best, right? So you can build up to it over time, but it's definitely something that you're going to want to adjust to slowly, okay? It's hard to do because Everyone's schedules and the way that society works in most places is that dinner is your biggest meal, right? Because everyone's multitasking and rushing and are busy during the day and there's no time to sit down and eat a large meal. And many people take their breakfast on the go. So the whole concept of a circadian synced eating is the opposite of that is taking the time to eat a sit-down breakfast that's larger, it's more robust, it's more filling, having a lunch that's even, you know, more of a dinner style lunch. And we do that 
in Israel and I know that in Europe it's very common. So it is possible to do. I've done it my whole life growing up and I continue to do it on some days now. So it's definitely possible, but you do need to plan for it and you do need to think about it ahead of time so that it works with your schedule. But if you are able to do that and taper off the eating and eat a smaller dinner, maybe a small salad or maybe half a sandwich and a cup of soup, or even yogurt and fruit, or I used to eat oatmeal for dinner. So, you know, making sure that you're adjusting and maybe swapping your lunch and dinner can be a great place to start. And again, when you do this, you're automatically eating the vast majority of food within the daytime hours, and there's light outside, your brain is perceiving that, and it's a much better process from there to digest and metabolize your food. Now, with that, we want to ideally be in the fed state for about 10 to 12 hours. And I know as soon as I said 10 to 12 hours and fed state, intermittent fasting came to mind. So I'm going to talk about how this is different than intermittent fasting in a second. But basically, all this means, and again, if you're doing what I just said before, where you're eating the vast majority of your food within the time of day that's light outside, this should work out regardless of what time it is, meaning you shouldn't have to count the hours or anything like that. This is not what that's about. But again, if you're thinking about a 12-hour day or a 10-hour day, it means that you're having breakfast around 8 or 9 a.m. and you're finishing dinner between 6 and 8 p.m. That is totally doable. That's just like what a normal eating schedule should look like. So again, there's nothing special here. There's nothing restrictive here. This is not about fasting. This is about when you're eating. Okay, so I don't want you thinking about fasting. I want you to think about this is the time of day that I'm generally eating most of my food most of the time. And if you look at it this way, you're going to find that it's super sustainable, very easy to do, and actually doesn't make you feel deprived in any way, which I think is a big problem with intermittent fasting. So I want you to think about the 10 to 12 hours in your day where you can eat. What are those times looking like? What's realistic and doable for you? But I also want you to think about are you doing this right now? We know from studies that more than 80% of people in the United States report eating for 15 hours of their day or more. And that's not hard to do either, right? So easily we can fall into the habit of eating until 10 or 11 p.m. And again, starting to eat again around 7 a.m., right? And that means that you're fed for a good 15, 16, 17 hours sometimes. And that's just not good for your body. That's not aligned with how your body works in the systems and the metabolism and the hormones. And so I want you to identify kind of your 10 to 12 hours. When is it reasonable for you to eat? There is a benefit even if you do it partially. So if you have to go to 13 hours, it's not like you're going to turn into a pumpkin or anything like that. Like, no, none of that. I want you to just think, can you shave off a couple hours? Are you someone who's eating until 10 or 11 o'clock at night? Maybe, you know, you want to start earlier and finish earlier so that you can be more in alignment with the circadian rhythm. And again, there's a benefit in it even if you do it partially. So if you have to go to a 13-hour fed state, totally fine. If you have to do it only every other day, if you have to start doing it only on the weekends, right? Whatever works for you, go with that. We don't have to go into a perfection trap. And again, ease into it. It's not going to work with all schedules. So give yourself some grace and just give it a shot. Now, with that being said, I want to mention some people who this is absolutely not for. If you have a history of disordered eating, bulimia, anorexia, binge eating disorder, this is not for you, okay? This is not something that I would recommend. 
If you have a hard time meeting your calorie needs or your food needs during the day, maybe you're breastfeeding or pregnant, or maybe you just have higher calorie needs for another reason, this is probably not for you. It's going to limit your ability to meet your calorie needs. And also shift workers. If you're a shift worker, a nurse, a cop, whatever it may be, and you work during the night, it's tough. So I have a lot of shift workers in my programs. We work a special schedule for them, a special meal plan for them. And there are a lot of things to consider here. It's probably not going to work for someone who's sleeping during the day and up at night, obviously. And circadian disruptions are pretty common with people who are shift workers. And so find someone who can help you come up with a customized plan that's going to meet your needs, fit into your lifestyle, and really help you to regulate it as much as possible, given the work that you do. Okay, so let's recap a little bit about the principles of circadian synced eating. The first one is you start early, ideally within 90 minutes of waking up. By 8.30 a.m. would be perfect, but again, you don't have to be rigid about it. The second thing is you eat the vast majority of your food when it's light outside, ideally swapping your dinner and lunch, making lunch the biggest meal of the day, and then keeping your eating within a 10 to 12 hour window, tapering off, stopping to eat, ideally when it's dark outside. Okay, so there are a lot of things that are ideal with this. Again, we're not going to go for perfect. We're going to go for doable. And I'd like you to get started with one of those three things. Maybe you just start with the breakfast. Maybe you just start with shaving off a couple hours of eating into the night. And again, it's not just about the 10 to 12 hours. It's about starting early and finishing early. Okay, this is the important part of it. And this is also where it differs from intermittent fasting. So I want to talk a little bit about how this is different than intermittent fasting and what are some of the things that I think make intermittent fasting not a good option for PCOS. Okay, so the first thing is, I think this is way less strict than intermittent fasting. We don't have with circadian synced eating entire days of fasting. There's also no caloric restriction or extended time periods where there's no food throughout the day and you need to function optimally without any food. I don't know how anyone would do that. I know people do. And it's something that I cannot even fathom. I have to fast, well, I don't have to, but I choose to fast a religious fast once a year for 25 hours, so just over a 24-hour period, and it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all, okay? So I don't know how people who fast once or twice a week, every single week for an entire day, do it, how they function in society. I also think it's too much stress on the body, okay? So it's not really natural for your body to not receive nourishment on a regular basis for more than 24 hours, okay? So with circadian synced eating, there's no stress on the body. It's very natural, right? It works with a normal schedule. It doesn't mean that you have to fast on you know, the days or the times of day where you have to be cognitively sharp. That would be, I think, really difficult to do. It's also more flexible. So like I said, you can eat within 10 to 12 hours. If it has to go to 13, it's no big deal. It's something that your body can absolutely handle. Whereas with intermittent fasting, I've heard so many people are like, no, I can't drink coffee. It's going to break my fast or I can't do this or that. It's going to ruin everything. This is not a good approach mentally. It's very stressful and it's also very diety. Okay, so we want to make sure that we're doing something that feels natural and common sense and not like we're constantly breaking the rules, okay? This just gives you enough structure to get yourself on a schedule, to get yourself in some sort of a routine. And I also think that a good byproduct of circadian synced eating is that it almost kind of forces you to get into a good sleep hygiene routine and break that habit of eating at night. 
So it really can encourage you to prioritize sleep, to make sure that you're tapering off eating, you're shutting down the day, you're not continuing, you know, to have full lights on in the kitchen and sitting down to eat multiple snacks while you're watching TV. Like it's going to make you more mindful of your entire evening routine. And I think that's a huge benefit. The other issue with intermittent fasting, which I think to me is the biggest issue with it, is that, like I said, some people and a lot of people choose to start their eating window late so that they can eat in the evening hours when they're relaxing at home. And so they're fasting until lunch. They're missing that important metabolically active window of insulin and cortisol in the morning. They're also denying themselves food when they're physically hungry, right? So they're eating based on the clock. And I've had many, many clients who told me like, I used to not eat until 1 p.m. I would be famished when I got to lunch and then I would overeat. And of course, that's no good because first of all, you feel out of control. You're burdening the system. Like your digestion is going to be more difficult. You're also going to create a surge of insulin. Like I said before, when you're overeating, a lot of things kind of snowball from there. It could feel very out of control. And so if you're fasting until the lunchtime hour, again, there are a lot of issues with that. The biggest one being you're not honoring your natural body's cues. You're not honoring your hunger. And it's actually a really good sign for you to wake up hungry in the morning. That's a sign that you have good hormonal balance. It means that your cortisol levels are not super high. And so if you're waking up hungry, that's a good thing. You should be eating. And if you're waking up hungry and fasting until lunch, you're setting yourself up for a binge. You're setting yourself up for higher insulin levels and for something that I call catch-up eating, where you can absolutely not stop eating once you start. And so I see this a lot when intermittent fasting or clients of mine who've done intermittent fasting in the past, and I think it's so, so damaging. With circadian synced eating also, the meals are spread out throughout the day. So they're not all crammed into a six hour window, which I think is very short. Okay, so a lot of people have this last supper syndrome when they're doing intermittent fasting, where they feel like they need to eat everything and anything in sight within the six hours. And so it becomes this marathon of getting in as much food as possible. It's exhausting. It's mentally, you know, harmful and again, sets you up for binging and overeating, which of course then has consequences digestively, hormonally, mood, your sleep. You know, if you're someone who has an eating window of, say, 2 to 8 p.m. or 2 to 10 p.m., if you're doing 8, 16, you're eating for eight hours, you're fasting for 16 hours. So I'm sure you've seen it or have tried it before. You're eating very, very large amounts of food at 7, 8, 10 p.m. at night. You're going to have a hard time falling asleep. And you're also going to really struggle as far as your hormones because most of that food is going to get digested and metabolized as fat. And it's going to increase blood sugar during the night. It's going to increase your cholesterol. So lots and lots of issues there. And by the way, I've done two other episodes specifically on intermittent fasting. One of them is about the common mistakes that women make with intermittent fasting. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that you can go ahead and listen to that. So I'm really hoping that you're going to consider switching to something that's more circadian synced appropriate, right? Something that works with your body, with your natural clock and the way that the light and darkness cues impact you. And this is specifically relevant to PCOS because women with PCOS are known to have disrupted sleep patterns 
And the circadian rhythm is already being challenged by that, okay? So women with PCOS have a harder time falling asleep. They have a harder time staying asleep at night. And of course, staying alert during the day then becomes a challenge. One of the reasons for this, there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is that women with PCOS are known to have higher daytime levels of melatonin and some genetic changes that predispose women with PCOS to irregular sleep patterns. So this is, you know, something that's a known issue with PCOS. Sleep is a huge challenge. And so the circadian rhythm system is already impacted just by the fact that you have PCOS, you have these higher hormones levels and melatonin, as well as some genetic predisposition. And so I think it's even more important to work with your body, to kind of nudge your body or encourage your body to regulate its own circadian rhythm. And this could be done with the food and the way that you, you know, your eating behaviors and your schedule is set up. Let's talk a little bit about the documented benefits. And when I say documented benefits, I'm talking about studies that have been done specifically on something called time-restricted eating, which is what this is, as well as eating based on your circadian rhythm. So there are good studies out there. They're not specific to PCOS, but we do have some good data to work with and to show the benefits of this style of eating. And let's start with talking about sleep because this is something we just mentioned as a challenge for PCOS. So a recent study showed that time-restricted eating produced a significant and durable improvement in sleep quality over the course of three months where people kept a 10-hour eating window and 84 of the participants in this study had increased sleep duration and efficiency, okay? So the quality of sleep was really improved. And we also know that this is kind of a feedback loop that happens when you sleep better. Obviously, your circadian rhythm system is more regulated. And that, of course, helps your metabolism and hormones and everything else that we had talked about. So there is this feedback loop that's positive. When you sleep better, everything is better, right? Okay, we also know that when people eat based on their circadian rhythm, their appetite is better regulated. They experience less hunger, and this is probably related to better regulation of hormones that control appetite like ghrelin and leptin. We also know that people take in less calories, okay? So when people engage in circadian rhythm fasting, they can eat as much food as they would like during that time, right? There's no caloric restriction or anything like that. But what we see is that they end up consuming less food. They end up consuming less calories. That could be because they're not as hungry. One study found that people who stuck with this time-restricted eating plan they unintentionally ate 20% fewer calories than they would have otherwise. And that's a big difference. And then, of course, we see improved metabolism. So when people align their meal timing with the circadian rhythm, a person can really optimize their metabolism. And so those meals are consumed at times when the hormones that are related to eating, like ghrelin and other hormones like insulin, are at their peak. They're ready to go. They're ready to act. The body is very sensitive to them, right? Everything is kind of on standby for food to arrive. And so when they eat, when people eat based on those circadian rhythm patterns, food is more likely to be digested properly. It's more likely to be metabolized efficiently, and it's less likely to be stored as fat. And so we also know that people who eat based on their circadian rhythm have lower levels of cholesterol, lower levels of insulin. Their blood sugar is more stable. They have less insulin resistance, right? So lots and lots of benefits that are associated Beginning with sleep, which is, of course, very important. It can also, of course, getting better sleep can reduce stress. Okay, so that's another important factor. But most importantly, improved metabolism, 
easier time controlling weight, and then less disease risk because of the reduced cholesterol, insulin, and insulin resistance, okay? So this can have a major impact on someone's health, and it's very common sense, very doable, and it can absolutely fit within your schedule with a little bit of tweaking and a little bit of planning. So I definitely want to encourage you to try it. Now, if you're not totally ready to work on the food side of it and the timing quite yet, you're thinking about it, you're preparing for it, but you're not quite there yet. Another great thing that you can do for your circadian rhythms is work on sleep, right? So this whole thing relies on light and darkness and sleep patterns. So everything is interrelated. And as I said, and as I know from clients, a lot of women with PCOS struggle with sleep. And so if you do nothing else with today's episode, I want you to either start working on the eating based on the schedule and the rhythms that we talked about or working on sleep if you can. And that means taking care of artificial lights or extended screen time, reducing that as much as you can, right? Making sure that you have boundaries around, you know, social media and scrolling stories and getting into a rabbit hole of kind of your Facebook feed or whatever it may be. Getting natural light throughout the day, that's very important. Light has to go through your eyes into your brain so that your brain perceives that and continues to regulate the circadian rhythms. So I did a whole episode on the importance of sleep. It's, I believe, episode 10 or 11. I'm not sure. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can check it out. But regulating your sleep is a big part of it. So of course, the timing of the meals matters and everything we talked about is important. But if your sleep is not good, if you're staying up until 2 a.m., if you're not putting boundaries around screen time, exposure to blue light, or not having a set bedtime routine that's conducive to falling asleep and staying asleep so that you can function optimally and not disrupt your hormones, those are definitely areas of focus that I would start with first. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I definitely love talking about this stuff. I think it's so interesting and it's definitely a shift or new territory for some of us. So take it easy, implement step-by-step, whatever you can. Don't stress yourself out. I do want to encourage you to reach out to me. Let me know what you think. If you've walked away with an insight or a valuable tip from today's episode, I would definitely love hearing about it. And if you'd be so kind to leave a review and also share this episode, I would really appreciate it. And I know that it can reach a lot more people who need help. And so if you can help me with that and play a role in spreading the word, I would definitely appreciate it. All right, I'll talk to you soon.